here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. and welcome to the Atheist Experience. My name is Russell Glasser. With me today is my guest, uh, Caitlin Pulcher. Hello. Uh, today is May 27th, 2018, uh, and this is the Atheist Experience. Uh, now, Caitlin, just before the show, you were asking, is this a normal-sized crowd for the show? And uh, I would say these days it kind of is, but uh, the, cr the crowd for the show has been getting bigger and bigger, and I don't know what we did to deserve that, but I'm really glad to see all of you smiling people out in the audience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The Atheist Experience is a production of the Atheist Community of Austin, a Texas nonprofit educational organization dedicated to the promotion of uh, separation of church and state and positive atheist culture. Uh, now, normally I would say that we are going to dinner after the show, but uh, today and apparently uh, several times recently, we are just hanging out right here in the ACA building, which is uh, at 1507 West Koenig. Uh, we are going to have snacks. Uh, we're going to hang out and talk to each other, and it's going to be a super fun time. Uh, so if you're not already here in this gigantic audience, then uh, maybe start making your way over. Uh, also, I would like to mention that uh, Dan Earls, who is a, a good friend and uh, was with us at the American Atheist Convention last month and, uh, and hangs out here at the ACA pretty often, he is going to be doing his first speaking gig at the Secular Student Alliance Convention uh, end of June. I do not have the rest of the details on that, but I believe it's right there on your screen. Uh, he has a GoFundMe page uh, so that he can afford to get there. Uh, and as you can see, many people have already donated. Uh, so uh, feel free to support him. And if you are involved with the Secular Student Alliance, why aren't you going to this convention? It's going to be great. I bet. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, Caitlin, I met you at the American Atheist Convention, mm -hmm. and you are an author. Mm -hmm. uh, and why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, your background and your book? Sure. So I was raised in a Baptist fundamentalist family, um, very Bible beaters uh, by the book. And I came out of the Christian community in my mid-20s, I would say, when a relative became alcoholic 
and the whole family was praying and praying and praying that uh, this person would get better and nothing got better everything got worse and worse and worse and so I finally you know I watched um, the movie The Invention of Lying with mm. Ricky Gervais in it. yeah very funny movie and sure. I was like it just made so much sense that someone had made the whole thing up and that no one's up there listening to us um, <laughs> and so I just sort of let it go and it's been a much more peaceful existence ever so, since then. So you were a fundamentalist Christian when you watched The Invention of Lying, mm -hmm. and that got the ball rolling? Well, it was, you know, the relatives decline plus the movie all wrapped up together. And then, like, at the time of watching the movie, too, I sort of started Googling some of the things that I had been taught in church to see what the Bible actually says about them. Because mm -hmm. the type of church that we went to, you just show up on Sunday, and you trust that everything that they tell you is in the Bible somewhere, but you don't actually go to search it search it yourself um, but now with Google I mean, you can, let's like, face it the Bible is not a page turn no it's really not I think they printed on the thinnest paper possible for that reason <laughs> to discourage people actually reading it um, but yeah so then I found out that that a lot of these lessons that I had learned weren't even in there to begin with and um, so you know the more I researched and the more I watched the movie I was like this this is just made up this is a bunch of crap basically how long would you say you've considered yourself an atheist now? um probably like eight years or so okay yeah uh, well congratulations Thank on you. making the transition yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, what possessed you to write a book about it I so I, I got into a support group as my relative was drinking um, and so as I as I worked through the support group, um, they sort of demanded belief in a higher power, and that wasn't really working for me because I was an atheist. Um, but I didn't know of any survivors of religious abuse uh, support mm -hmm. groups. So I, um, you know, we're reading this book in the support group. It's not really helping me, so I thought, I don't, I don't see anything else out there that's going to help me. I might as well write my own. And so I started writing my own story in hopes that it reaches other people and inspires them to sort of leave um, leave the church basically and, and women in particular I think um, women are tired of men telling us what to do like even a lot of them joined religion because a man told them to do that so they don't want another man telling them now to leave it do this do that think this think that and so my book is more like think for yourself feel for yourself and you'll arrive at the right conclusion right uh, so the book is called status quote mm -hmm. Cute. <laughs> uh, a woman's perspective on how Christianity was never about God. Mm -hmm. uh, do you mean that literally? I do. Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was never about God. For like, like even for believers now, uh, do you, or is some of, uh, is it partially about God for people, or uh, do you think people are intentionally? <laughs> misleading each other. I think basically my book is about how I think Christianity began and I think mm. um, I think men wanted to control their women or pe people who are different from them maybe it was straight men wanting to control homosexuals or vice versa. I, I don't know I wasn't there obviously but my theory is that you know fear is the most motivating force in all humans. If you want to if you want to inspire someone to do something you you make them afraid of a consequence. And so I think these men thought, okay, we have to inspire fear in women or homosexuals or children to, to control them. And so in order to do that, they came up with something even scarier than they are. So like you can be scared of a man, but you can move away from him, and that extinguishes the threat. Whereas if you come up with this supernatural being that you can never get afraid of, it works like a charm because you can't get away from it. It's always watching you even when your husband or your father or your mom is gone. And so it just worked as this tool for control. And then it became this sort of gaslighting thing where all these men got in on it and they corroborated each other's stories and wrote this book and convinced everybody like that was the truth. 
Okay. So th this is basically sort of a, a series of speculative essays, basically, yes. yeah. on how Christianity could have gotten started. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, when you were in church, did you, uh, like, what was your sense of, of the sincerity of belief of people who were actually, I, I mean, I got to tell you where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. I was raised as a secular Jew, and I never was deep into uh, basically the churchy community. Okay. Uh, my impression of uh, people who take religion seriously is that they take religion seriously, uh, and they uh, uh, they believe what they say they do. Although when uh, when when religion tells them things that they want to hear, uh, they're not exactly <laughs> fighting to uh, to dispute <laughs> dispute things that they uh, to not hear what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, you so you were in church until your mid twenties. Mm -hmm. uh, did you feel like? nobody really believed in God or what? No, I think plenty okay. of people in that community actually do, and I think it's a way for a lot of people to cope with things that we don't have coping skills to deal with. So, mm -hmm. like, if your very young mother is dying from cancer and you just can't wrap your brain around why that's happening, maybe it makes people feel better to think, oh, she's going beyond and I'll see her someday. So it's just they don't have the coping skills to deal with it at that young age, and so they lean on religion for that reason to help them get through it, I okay. think. Yeah. Uh, what about people who come to Christianity uh, when they're older? Uh, it might be the same type of thing, where they're going through something so challenging they need something else to hold on to, and they get into it that way. Or Some people are just crazy. Like, I, I don't know. There's a variety of reasons that people can wind up in the church. I, I certainly don't think most people who are in the church took it as literally as my family did. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was so extreme and so painful for me to go through as a kid that that also inspired me writing my own story. Like, I don't want what happened to me to happen to anybody else if I can prevent that. So. Right. Uh, can you give me an example of, uh, of the kind of personal story that we'd find in this book? Sure. Uh, like, like something specific that you went through while you were deep in the, mm -hmm. the church stuff. So, um, I mean, I've been, I went to church at my earliest memories, probably four or five years old. And I remember being five years old and we were told to pray the salvation prayer. And it's explained to me that you're going to die someday. And if you don't pray this prayer, then you're going to be burning in hell underneath all of us for eternity. And like, that's insanely scary for, for a five-year-old to believe in. And so that was pretty traumatizing there. And then uh, this is all in chapter two of my book. Um, and then I talk about how that sort of led to all these weird tendencies of me, like, washing my hands and being afraid of public restrooms and stuff like that because you're, I was afraid to die because I thought maybe I'll go to hell. So, it, you know, you're a kid and it's it's just traumatizing. Um, as a five-year-old, did you, uh, like, did you feel any sense of odds about uh, whether you whether you'd wind up in hell or not? I mean, like, I feel like the the nice story that the church tries to present is, uh, you know, look, God forgives people, you deserve this horrible torture, but mm -hmm. you're not going to get it because of Jesus Christ, yada, yada, yada. Christians tell me that they find uh, that they find it comforting, and it must be scary as an atheist to have nothing. Uh, it sounds like you were even having been raised in the church your whole life, legitimately scared of, yeah, uh, of for winding me, up in hell yourself. It created anxiety. It had the reverse effect for me, and I think it has for my family, because 
at five years old, I would not have been thinking about, I'm going to die someday. What happens to me next? Like, there was no context for this discussion. It just came up mm-hmm. because it came up in church that Sunday. It's not like we lost a family pet and then I was asking questions. It was all just forced on me. And so I think, like, as an atheist, if you think nothing happens when you die, that's not terrifying because being barbecued for all eternity in a fiery <laughs> inferno is much scarier than I'm going to be in the ground somewhere, you know, at least for me personally. Right. Um, so uh, you told me that American Atheist was the first time you've been to an atheist convention. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> How, what has your experience been like of church community versus atheist community? Well, they're very different. So I, I mean, in the fundamentalist Baptist community, there's no alcohol and there's no fun, really. <laughs> so the convention was much more fun. Right. People were more welcoming. And I, uh, I do I, they tell any jokes? No, not oh, really. <laughs> it's that, very serious. Uh, it's just much more boy, comfortable. I, too. I wasn't missing anything. I yeah, say. yeah, and you can wear whatever you want to an atheist convention, but at church you got to be all buttoned up. Mm-hmm. It's freezing cold in there. It's Sunday morning. Everybody's tired. You know, it, it was just much more relaxed at the convention. I would say more welcoming. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, glad you had a good time. I did too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you want to get to calls? Let's do it. All right. The book is Status Quant. The author is Caitlin Pulcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to get to our first caller, which is uh, Quincy in Dayton, Texas. Quincy. Yes, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Pretty good. What's uh, on your um, mind? Well, first, I want to say... I got a Christian um, Instagram. You can follow me on it, Quincy Graham five five zero at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your question? <laughs> All right. Well, I was saying like, why do y'all worship the devil and stuff like that? You know, like, you no, know, like we're not the Like, I'm, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. What you heard? I, 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 you I did we, not catch your question. You asked why we worship the devil. Oh, <laughs> are you a troll <laughs> caller? Happy years. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. See ya. <laughs> I, I, if nothing else, I've got to say I appreciate he answered that question yep. honestly. There you because go. he stopped us from wasting more time. <laughs> uh, we are going to go to the only other theist on the line, uh, and operators are standing by if you are a theist who means it. <laughs> uh, and this is Isaiah in Hawaii. What's up? Hello, yes. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Yep. You're not a troll caller, right, Isaiah? <laughs> no, sir. Not okay. At all. Cool. Thank you, thank you very much for taking my call. No problem. So, yeah, I've, um, I've, what has led me down this path, what I'm going to present, has just been a, a deep curiosity and fascination with both uh, creation stories, ancient religious creation stories, and ancient uh, scientific uh, creation stories, and just the whole, um, um, colorful nature of the, all these different explanatory um, stories, and and looking through them, finding a lot of commonalities. And uh, okay. what this has has developed along with is working on a cosmology um, based on God. And I'll get to what I mean by God. That has predictive power. It has um, measurable um, predictions on what we find as the phenomenon in the in the universe. Well, uh, can can you? Uh, uh, I'm sure you have a lot of buildup, but I'm really interested in these measurable predictions first. Can you give me an example? Sure. Sure. Um, so, 
um, I got to start first with uh, what I'm I'm calling God because all of it unfolds well, from there. <laughs> can you humor me and uh, and do the prediction sure. first and then get and okay, then circle sure. back to the other stuff? Sure, absolutely. So um, one of them would be a constant expansive influence on the universe. Uh, another would be the anatomy and behavior of atoms. And um, with further detail of the model, um, to me, it per even predicts the structure and order of DNA. I question your assumption that any of those are predicted in the creation myths, but uh, I'm going to oh, go yeah. ahead and let you <laughs> uh, go back to what you wanted to talk about. Yeah. So, um, again, um, going back to before the beginning, um, as both scientists and religious love to do, uh, so this is a consideration of an infinite singularity, a unified state that is spatially infinite, okay? Um, throughout um, ancient religions, I found it described not necessarily as God, but uh, a pre-existent unified substance often described as water. Like for Greeks, it was chaos. It was an undifferentiated unified substance. It wasn't an arising or falling of forms like we use chaos now. Okay. Uh, for the Egyptians, it was Nun, this watery substance that was pervaded the universe before the gods arose and, and all that stuff. Let, uh, so, let, let me interrupt you. Uh, I, I'd like to know what you're trying to uh, support here. It, is it some form of Christianity or some kind of vague general uh, uh, like deism or something? Uh, well, specifically, it would. I believe it would be category categorized as panentheism where panentheism. the is with okay so you're not panentheism. a christian yeah so um not technically no not i technically. found many dovetails in yeah i found many okay. um dovetails with with what i've researched out in the christian mythos um and i've yeah. even found that of course i'm sure as many of your researchers had in previous um, incarnations of religion. That but let's say uh, you don't one. believe that the Bible is literally true. You don't believe that the Quran is literally true. You don't like tie anything down to a specific mythology. You just find them like useful as a framework. Is that what you're saying? I find um, similarities and looking at the Bible um, as a in um, researching it as a collection and kind of an amalgamation of previous similar mythos. Okay. And looking but you at do think of the Bible. Of you do think of the Bible as a bunch of myths and not necessarily as uh, there was literally a great flood that filled up the entire world, etc. <laughs> Correct. I have a, I have an explanation for that, but uh, that that. Okay. That, that takes some explaining, which I'm not going to get into. But anyway, uh, looking at all these myths, especially the Bible, as kind of a, an example of the telephone game, where things get yeah. changed over time as they get retold and retold and simplified and then um, changed for people's agendas and things like that. But the Do you think that, does that mean that you think that if we uh, had the unadulterated original first edition Bible and we read what it said that hadn't been corrupted by the telephone game, it would have said stuff that was completely accurate? Uh, no, I think the, okay. the stories that were handed down that got compiled as the Bible were already a result of the telephone game. Like the Council of Nicaea okay. ended the, but, or abridged what was considered, yeah? But where do you think the well, stories well, yeah, originally, the where do you think the stories originally came from? Like the telephone game, in the telephone game, somebody is still the first guy to say something. 
And yes. what do you think uh, I, I think that is? Okay, I'll get to that part then. I think what, uh, what I want to eventually share with you was known by humanity before. I don't think I've discovered anything new as this, uh, this cosmological logic of how things come to be. Uh, that it was known before and got codified. Known by who? Stories of God um, and ancient man, um, even civilizations that were prior to this one that we have just the barest remnants of. So ancient man knew more then than we do now? Is that your, your point? Yes, in a way. Okay. Not in specific, but... Um, what like made you conclude sites. that? What, when, when you reviewed the entire history of humanity, what made you come to the decision? I, I, and I'm sorry to keep cutting you off, but uh, you know I'm not sure okay. how long you expect to take to lay out this whole argument, and I'm just interested in your underlying point. How did you yeah. decide, looking at the whole history of humanity, that people started out knowing a whole lot of stuff and then gradually forgot things and got dumber and dumber? Is that what you're saying? Well, for various reasons, for control reasons, and like uh, your other guest said, for, um, for installing fear and control in the populace mm -hmm. rather than um, well, um, that... uh, personal knowledge and freedom. Well, that's not the question. I mean, that is your diagnosis of the situation. But my question is, how yep. did you determine this? Okay. So it sounds like a theory through, like mine is. Right. Well, is it I a mean, theory it, of yours well, like mine? It sounds like a conjecture. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a theory. Yeah. Well, it's actually, um, my, my, in the scientific sense, my theory is, is geometrically predictive. In the on the phenomenons in the universe. And okay. what I found in that geometry uh -huh. and how these pieces relate to each other, I've been able to um, find a subjective story that is echoed and has so many um, similarities and corroborations throughout not only modern religion, but ancient religion. It was just started, when I, when I discovered this fundamental pattern, it just was staring at me in the face from all these different ways, like looking through a glass darkly. There's a vague shape there, and it, it, is, it is a reoccurring shape. Do you so, have an example uh, of a thing that people used to know and and have mostly forgotten? Um, uh, well, specifically, but maybe that's not a fair question part. because if people have forgotten it, then you wouldn't know what it is. But <laughs> uh, well, things like uh, the Library of Alexandria containing okay. vast amounts of knowledge that just got wiped out and burned down. There was a great loss. Yeah, but you don't. I mean, I mean, you don't know what is what was in that. I mean, I don't doubt that there are a lot right. of things that we that they forgot about. But I'm wondering, like. You know, I'm I'm as a software engineer, I read a whole lot of technical manuals. I have a lot of background uh, on how computers work and how they were invented and uh, uh, and and basic uh, trade knowledge. Uh, Caitlin, I, I'm allowed to say what your job is, just not where you work. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you work as uh, an as analyst, a, right? Yep. For for a for stocks, basically, mm -hmm. or or an analyst for companies. Uh, <laughs> there are very specific, detailed things that you have to learn. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. I'm not sure where <laughs> our caller is going. That's my, that was my next question. Where where oh, are we headed right. here? <laughs> yeah. 
And no, you know, the, the show back. has a limited amount of time, and so you maybe you can understand I'm wary for uh, yeah. to just sit back and let you develop some it's very scary. abstract uh, argument that's leading to a point that I'm not clear <laughs> what uh, how you arrived at that point in the first place. Okay. Well, let me just give you the first prediction of this of this logic of this um, this working model that I've, I believe I've rediscovered. So, again, starting <laughs> okay. with an undifferentiated substance that's infinite, it has very specific relationships with its own substance, and this is in it, it describes the same motion as the Big Bang, but instead of a, a finite or infinitesimal singularity, we're dealing with an infinite singularity. So, this would be um, what I would call God. It is omnipresent. It is almighty in that it is absolute pure substance, pure matter. And not to say that it doesn't have a subjective spirit or mind, if you will, but um, like with the knowledge of anatomy, I could say with any human, up to 99% surety, how they are organized, but I can't really say anything about their subjective nature unless they introduce themselves to me. So I'm not going to go on the subjective nature of God. Again, the objective nature... i, I, I got to be honest with you, Michael... That sounded like a whole bunch of word salad to me. Mm -hmm. I I mean, okay. Uh, well, let me let me let me just get to this one single point of this okay. of this model. This infinite singularity has specific relationships with itself, and in quantizing an that infinite already field, sounds like more word salad. <laughs> Something okay. has a bunch of uh, relationships with itself. I I mean. When you say that you're going to make scientific predictions about something, I mean, a lot of times the scientific predictions take the form of things like, if you do this specific thing, then, uh, then based on this information, uh, some measurable effect will occur, you quantify it, and then you are able to repeat that, uh, uh, that example over and over again. Do you have anything like yeah. that? Or do you just have it? So I predict that something will have a whole bunch of relationships with itself. <laughs> no, it only has three spatial okay. relationships with itself. Okay. And when this thing unfolds, it unfolds a metaverse in a, uh, yeah. an equal-sized sphere pack because they're all the same um, um, quantized expression or voided expression of the original one thing. Um, interestingly, a uh, equal-sized sphere pack each sphere takes up what the hell is a sphere pack? What, what do you do with all of this yeah. knowledge? Are you using a formula to predict the answers to your questions from us? Yeah, and and also <laughs> I want to know, like, do, have you have you predicted anything? Have you predicted anything that we didn't already know? Um. Well, like, like, has your uh, research led to what any what? Uh, particular experiments where, uh, where you were able to say in advance, nobody has ever done this before, but I predict this is going to be the outcome, and then you did the experiment and it, uh, and it happened the way you predicted? Because that's what a prediction is normally. Right, right. Well, this, again, it's a, it's a geometric model that has specific um, spatial predictions on uh -huh. the, uh, not only the expansive constant of our universe. So let me get to the single point real quick. What experiments did you uh, do on the expansive let's, constant let's of our universe? Let's hear the single point. What do we think the point is? Go ahead, Isaiah. Okay. <laughs> um, well, what I'm finding geometrically is lining up with things science has already found. Like what? It gives a, gives a like the expansive constant of the universe, dark energy. So, wait, so, can, can you give me a number on one of these constants? Yes. Uh, so, 
This is, um, if, if your listeners will look this one up, it's called the Kepler Conjecture. It was okay. done um, um, by a number of mathematicians who calculated, it's also called the Cannonball Problem, how much space equal size spheres take up versus the space in between the spheres. And well, this that, is in relation to a metaverse. That a, sounds a, like a prediction of math, not science. <laughs> Do you know the difference? Okay. I mean... Yeah. Okay, did it... That it's a mathematical prediction. What it predicts in an infinite okay. sphere stack, the expanse of constants is the same on every single universe. Okay, and um, this was predicted where? Form. In the Bible? No. Okay, no. In, where? Um, in a geometric mathematical model. Which came from um, religion somehow. No. No? Uh, I'm not arguing from any uh, any textbook or anything. This is a, a I'm lost. Pure, uh, lot. Uh, it's a pure geometric model. Which, which you system. developed? Uh, yeah. Based on what? <laughs> uh, based on a lot of research, based on geometry, based okay. on, on mathematical measurements. Uh-huh. So, yeah, um, and this is a, as opposed to the many worlds metaverse theory, that based on this okay. infinite unified substance. You're losing me, man. Universe has, okay. Okay, let me get back to one last point, and then then okay. I'll uh, I'll sign off. Uh, this infinite singularity is around itself equally in all directions. exists as a field throughout itself, and at the center of itself everywhere. And this creates a void space universe by uh, cavitation. If you want to use the word quantum fluctuation um, from science, that works too. Anyway, it makes a finite spherical space with a field okay. in between it and I... central. I'm sorry. I, I think I've given you enough of a chance. Yep. Uh, uh, Nobody's following. Okay, well. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> okay. We're all a bunch of triangles, and right. God is water and everything. That's what I got yeah. out of that. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was hoping this would have anything to no do with defending religion, to. but yeah. it didn't seem like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Roland in Lithuania. Yes, hello. 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 I'm not sure if there's a lag, but I, I hope that's not a problem. Well, Lithuania is a long way away. There might be. <laughs> yes, okay. Yeah, a bit um, uncomfortable talking right now. I'm, I think, uh, first time calling in into a show like that. So it's okay. You can't be worse than the last that. guy. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, good point. Uh, thank you. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me. I want to talk about... Uh, Kind of improving the communication of people in general and atheists specifically. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is essentially, um, well, we could divide atheists into group two, two groups. So those who are just atheists and don't even care about that, right? They're, they don't have a belief in a deity, but they don't maybe even talk about that. And then the other per people the other atheists who do care about this and, well, in some way relate to, to religion, right? Uh, they, they speak about it, they maybe have discussions, maybe debates, and, and, uh, and in most cases, I think they also have some other valuable uh, points to make, not just about religion, but about society in general. And uh, I guess most people on, on your show are 
or maybe all the people on your show are in that category too. Well, like <laughs> if we didn't want to talk about religion, there we we wouldn't be on this show. Yeah, yeah, uh, I guess, but yeah. I mean, also wanting some kind of social change. Um, yes. So uh, and. Um, um, my, I have maybe like 12 years of experience being an atheist. Uh, before that, I was just not acknowledging that for myself, not realizing that. And uh, after reading Carl Sagan's Demon Haunted World, I kind of just, okay, well, yeah, I am an atheist. Uh, and I just realized that. And so, and later on, I've joined um, on Facebook uh, a Lithuanian atheist group and later became a, an, a, one of the admins. And so through all those years, I've been seeing how atheists uh, interact and, and how they uh, both both in the group and let's say on, on YouTube and in other Facebook groups. And I've seen what usually it ends up being with. It's mostly people who are just very disagreeable, who kind of spend the most time, you know, bashing religion and uh, and be like, well, you know, it, uh, I mean, I, I got to say, it depends on uh, the culture of the place that you decide to hang out. Like, for instance, yes, yes. Uh, sure. I mean, sure. YouTube in particular, <laughs> uh, yes. people who interact with each other regularly on YouTube, for whatever reason, uh, seem to have a particularly toxic in, uh, atmosphere. Anonymous um, commenting doesn't bring out the best in people, typically. Yes, that, that is true. That also, that, yes. And yes. I, I say that at great risk because our biggest uh, base of, of viewership is here on YouTube. Uh, subscribe no. today and like the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, well, I guess my point is that I understand where they're coming from, why it's easy to just mock people who are seeing things differently. And uh, on occasion, I was closer to that position. But over the years, uh, learning more about other things, I've kind of realized that if I really want to have an improvement somewhere in society regarding this, uh, there are better ways. and. I want to talk about those ways. And uh, just like, uh, uh, well, I'm sure you're familiar with street epistemology. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, I think, and I think maybe you even had Anthony, what's the last name? Anthony Magna, Magna Bosco. Uh, Magna Bosco, yeah, him yep. on the show. Or at least uh, Matt Dillahunty had him on, on his uh, Yeah, talk, Anthony uh, was also on the, the nonprofits a few weeks ago, which, yeah. Uh, yeah. So... This is a one approach, right? So rather than debating people, you're just asking them how do they come come up to, come to the point of believing a particular thing, right? And it's um, it's probably much less likely to provoke people into certain kind of uh, uh, antagonistic positions. Um, so and then the dialogue can go further, and it's much less like in debates where you're trying to prove the other side wrong. It's more like just about understanding each other, um, or at least one side. So I think uh, there are there is value to both approaches, and I've talked to Anthony, and uh, he does too. Uh, he happens to be 
uh, he, the niche that he's found is just uh, politely and cautiously asking questions. Uh, but there, there, I think there is a place for uh, people being argumentative and pushy. Uh, Caitlin, you said that uh, one of your big uh, inciting incidents was watching the movie uh, Invention of Lying, <laughs> Invention of Lying yep. right? Which is kind of a... Uh, I, I mean, it's a funny movie and a nice movie, uh, and Ricky yeah. Gervais plays a very sweet character, but mm -hmm. it is definitely uh, a very critical and mocking. It's a mockery of, of, of religion, yeah. Christianity. Yeah. I think there's, there's different strokes for different folks. Like, we can empathize with your approach that it would work for a certain type of person, but there's so many different types of people in the world, and there's so many different types of atheists as well that we can all sort of use our own approach to reach different people, I think, so... Sure. I hear your point, but I, I think we we don't want to make a new religion like this is the only way to communicate with people. That that's just no, a new religion, not, you know. I was not implying that. I I do understand that you know at least if a person is not capable of doing anything else but what they're already doing, I guess they'll just continue doing that. Um, it's more about raising the awareness of other alternatives, other possibilities, and then trying to convince them, let's say even through a kind of a argument and, and debate, that there is value in those other things besides what they're already doing. And, um, well, and, and, and what I would like to stress uh, psychology uh, knowledge uh, as, as kind of a, kind of a general background to that and specifically empathy and mm -hmm. um, when I say empathy uh, I, I need to be specific because even on, on Wikipedia if you go to empathy description there's like five or six six distinct uh, either aspects or even types of empathy so the word it got used in many different ways in different contexts so people mean different things and for example if we take paul bloom's book against empathy he's also talking about specific things which i would say probably is closer to what's referred to as sympathy yeah but it, and, well i think maybe yeah. i can help you make your point a little bit yeah. which is that uh you know there are more effective and less effective ways of communicating with people and yeah. i think that uh what some uh, what some atheists in various walks of life don't appreciate enough is that uh, you have to be able to, at least to some extent, understand how the other person thinks if you want to yes. be good at changing their mind. Uh, and that doesn't mean you have to agree with them, and it doesn't mean that you have to take their position seriously. Uh, but you do have to talk about uh things that they uh, talk about things in a way that they understand uh, and yes. not just jump in their face and and say a bunch of stuff about like oh well you just want to <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know you you just want to lord your religion over other people and if uh, and that may be true for some people but if the person that you're talking to at the moment doesn't think that then he's immediately going to shut down the conversation because uh, because you guys are talking past each other, basically. And some of what empathy is, is trying to understand how, a how the other person's mind works and talk to them on a level that they can appreciate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. 
And um, well, there's probably a lot of stuff on that topic uh, in general. I, I would like to refer to maybe one or two specific things. Uh, I'm wondering if you're familiar with the uh, nonviolent communication as one approach to empathy. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're familiar. Great. Yeah. So uh, I think what you know. Understanding psychology in general already helps in in many ways because then you when you understand people's emotions and and all that. But what nonviolent communication contributes is this distinction between needs and the strategies that we um, use to meet the needs and the assumption that whatever the people are doing is based on on this wanting to meet the needs. So. When we see people in this way, we kind of stop being triggered by their uh, ways of expressing themselves because we stop listening to the words and focus on their intentions much more. And uh, I think that can resolve most of the conflict initially internally for us because we are no longer viewing others as you know wrong or 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 even you know manipulative and deceptive and all that we just see okay they're trying to reach something and then we just focus on that and then it's no longer even important as important what are they meaning and and and, and why are they saying those specific things uh, in terms of in terms of reasoning like what are their reasons to to make that specific argument well maybe i'm not putting yeah. it right I mean, no, I, I'm talking so about the I think I think there's a lot of validity to what you're saying. Uh, yeah. al although uh, one of the things I would caution is that uh, it it is possible that uh, some people actually have bad intentions, and I think uh, it's a good <laughs> idea to approach a conversation as if the person is sincere and uh, uh, and no, I'm not saying that not out to get here, but. Sorry, maybe I was not clear with that, um, and sorry for interrupting you. Uh, I'm, they could be manipulative in a in a sense, but if I see that okay, this is a manipulation that I you know need to dodge or something like that, mm, then I'm still seeing them as an enemy, and that might make it harder for me. Rather than I would just see okay, well they're trying to get something. I don't need to get involved into that, uh, but I can still explore their intentions and keep asking about intentions rather than focus on the topic that they want to talk about. So figuring out why do they want to yeah. talk about this in the first place and uh, okay. and why is it important to them? Yep. Well, <laughs> it it takes all kinds of conversations. Yep. You got anything to add? No, I guess I would say too like sometimes shock value does work cuz like think of um mm -hmm. so like when I was a kid we were with my family all the time. My parents didn't really have friends. We never saw my aunts and uncles or anything. So I think if I had had an aunt, I have an aunt who's an atheist, and if she had been around and just screamed in my parents' face and called the stuff bullshit, like if I saw that as a kid, that would have been very impactful. So there are these situations mm -hmm. where like the shock value of being like, hey, snap out of it. Like it does, it does work. But um, to your, to your point, I, I think we all agree with your point. Everybody wants people to communicate with them um, in an empathic manner, regardless of whether they're talking about religion or anything in particular. So right. I think we're on we're on board with you. 
And, and I also just wanted to make the point that there are for real dishonest, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, like, like sadistic people out uh, in the world. Uh, yeah, sure. And you don't always have a choice to just not interact with them at all. And so every situation is different. And sometimes you have to assess the situation still with an understanding of how that person really thinks and what motivates them. Uh, but, but sometimes uh, just chatting with them politely isn't enough to advance your position. So it really depends. Well, I wouldn't say that NVC is about politeness. It's about right. much more about honesty, in fact. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, I wasn't okay. expecting the conversation to go this way exactly. <laughs> so I'm just thinking what I want to add here is, is uh, uh, I think there's a big, big potential in terms of social change if many more atheists would, would figure out this part, because then we would save a lot of time, uh, which I think is oftentimes wasted for those uh, fruitless conversations or, or debates yeah. or, or, or arguing uh, both on YouTube comments and and uh, Facebook groups, which is, uh, yeah. you know, uh, uh, one example would be, you know, a lot uh, of so easy ways to trigger <laughs> atheists into some kind of, you know, spending a lot of time to make arguments in Facebook groups. Like you right. just post one thing and then a hundred atheists answer and then the original poster doesn't even make a new comment and it's yeah it seems well, like Roland, very easy uh, you've made some good points and i appreciate your call yeah. and uh, i think uh, we need to move on to other callers now so thanks okay. for calling yeah thank you thank you bye all right michael in california hello hello hi. yeah hi uh, my name is michael i'm coming from california how are you guys doing i'm good how good? are you good great uh I got to know your show through my uh, ex-wife. Mm -hmm. She is an atheist. I'm a believer. I was born and I was raised uh, uh, Orthodox Christian. Uh, I was not born in this country. I was born in a different country back in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry, my English is not as good as you, is not as any of the other callers. So, you know, it's, I'm just trying to be I can understand. We understand so don't you. Don't worry. And if, great. And if I'm not clear for any reason, like, you can tell me and I can repeat this. Uh, the discussion, like, we, I go in discussion with my ex-wife about atheism or the Bible most of the time. Uh, she listened to your show, too, a lot. Uh, what I wanted to know, because when I listened to your show, I find myself going in a circle. I understand that it's a great option, you know, and chance that the people can call and you give them the option to, you know, talk about Christianity while you guys are atheists. But uh, what I want to know is that is the discussion, the main discussion, is there is God or no God? Okay. If there is God, if this, if there is God, then we can move over and talk which God is it. Is the God of the Christians or Muslims or Jewish? And if there is no God, if there is no God, then no need to talk about how cruel is the God of the Bible. Some okay. callers, like yesterday, I was listening to the show, like I think like an old episode, they would try to explain about like you guys talking about the slavery. No, there is explanation for everything. Those people are weak. And I hope like as many people listening to me as possible. Like I said, 
I am not from here. Mm-hmm. I was not born here. People here, 90% of them, of the color, are Protestant. Whatever the nomination Pro- wait, is. Sorry, Protestant. Uh, what? Oh, Protestant, yep. yes. Protestant, yeah. Whatever denomination, Adventist or whatever else, these people, sorry, this religion is 500 years old. <laughs> Jesus was 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. So somebody who's 500 years ago is already, they do not have enough knowledge to be discussing the Bible. Even if you find 10% or 20% who are Catholic, it's the same thing. People in the night. Um, hang on, I, I, I got to yeah. disagree here because I don't think that the age of a thing necessarily has any relationship to how well informed it is. I mean, uh, um, <laughs> a lot of the scientific information that we have is much, much less than 500 years old, but I think that uh, it is uh, much more accurate than anything that was uh, hand handed down for 2,000 years. I mean, I mean no, you may not agree with all science, and I'm, no, I'm going to bet you different. don't. I'm but... sorry, I wasn't clear. I wasn't okay. clear in this. When I said the age of 2,000 years ago, mean that this religion is 500 years old okay. and came out from another religion that was Catholic and it is like 1,300 years old. Both of them against each other, both of the two religions based in or, or based on many political things. So none of okay. them is correct. For the none, sake I'm, of argument, I'm, I'm, though, like, for the that? sake of argument, uh, I, I'm going to ask, what if uh, it turned out that Catholicism was wrong and Protestantism was just a correction to the mistakes that they had made? Would that okay. be possible? Yeah, no, not possible. I tell no. you why it is not possible. I tell you why, and I, everything why I will say, I will give explanation. Why it is not possible. When you go for the history of the United States, you can track the history back to the first person who came here. And this is the history of the United States. Well, the first when person who about, came here wasn't really part of the history of, <laughs> of the United States as it, a nation. No, but I'm, uh, I'm talking, I know I'm talking, not no, I'm talking about when you, uh, that's what I was going to tell, tell you now. When you talk about the Constitution of the United States, uh-huh. and when you go for a loose suit. Hello? Nope, we lost him. Uh, Not that we were following we're, you in the first place. We are having some bad luck with Christian <laughs> callers today, I'm afraid. Um, do you want to say anything about his point? I have no idea where he was going, to be honest with you. Hmm. Uh, I, I mean... I- the proper magic sphere caller oh, from, yeah. from sphere <laughs> geometrical from formula ago. for predicting yeah. whatever <laughs> um 
You know, he was spending a whole lot of time, apparently, digging through all these old uh, creation texts and trying to mine the, the fundamental core of insightful information that the ancient people have that we don't have now. And it seems like this is, a, in general, a way that Christians up, approach knowledge. Uh, it's the idea... Is And that'll be it. That's the theory, yeah. Yeah. No. And I think that the secular approach to knowledge is different, which is we are people who, who happen to have found ourselves in some enormously complicated universe that has been running for, uh, for several billion years, and... Nobody has really had the level of intelligence until recently to even start to get their minds around it. Nobody has has begun, like, the universe existed, but nobody has perceived anything or tried to impose some kind of meaning uh, over it. Yeah. There's a lot of information out there. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. And the way that people... Uh, scientifically have learned to approach information is to assume that mostly uh, the things that we don't know uh, are discoverable, but they're things that we don't know yet. And so uh, we start little by little to basically expand our level of knowledge by looking into things and saying, oh, I think it works this way. Um, well, it turns out it almost works that way, but the experiment says that it doesn't quite. So let's alter uh, the information that we thought we knew, and then future generations who read this book can, can know, like, like we, tried to, we tried this theory, it didn't make sense, uh, so don't waste your time making that same mistake, because actually the truth is a little bit different. And so under this model, we converge on understanding the universe over time, whereas under the theist model, apparently there's just one actual absolute source out there somewhere in the mists of time and if we could only tap into it then we'd know everything and yeah. I don't think that's true I don't think so either I think uh, my general thought is like since Christianity is what harmed me my book focuses on get away from that like I don't offer up new answers status quo mm -hmm. is not about this way is wrong follow my way my thing is that one's absolutely wrong. Whatever the Christian belief is, there, there's no way in hell that happened. And I don't know what did happen, but I know it's not that. Like, and I think that that's enough for me, and I hope that's enough for some other people, too. I think the jump from creationism to we all came from apes is a big leap for some people. But if you can get away from creationism and get halfway there, then the world is a better place, I think. Because a lot of, a lot of laws that we have in our country right now and a lot of our leaders who are running our government believe everything that's in that big stupid book that's been mm -hmm. passed down forever um yeah right and that actually does tie back into uh the call screener note for that that uh last caller did say he was going to ask why do atheists spend so much time talking about the bible because it's corrupting our entire nation it's built into our laws in this country yeah it's not that the bible is that interesting it's just that uh people who believe in the bible are everywhere and and are trying to push some kind of weird biblical uh misinformation 
Uh, so we're talking about the people uh, and not, whoa, all the lines just went dark. <laughs> and so did my <laughs> so did my list of callers. We have lost every caller, and also there's no I don't even know if there's normally a dial tone. Oh, all right. <laughs> Uh, okay. The internet is down. That also means we're not broadcasting. Okay. But we are re still recording. Okay. So, you know, most people watch this show later. <laughs> is the internet going to come back? Okay. <laughs> um, so this book. Yeah. <laughs> you lucked out today, Caitlin. And we're looking at it. We'll hold it up so people can see it right. here. We're just looking uh, at the table. Tell me a little bit more about uh, this book. So it's uh, obviously I'm a woman, and it's a woman's yeah. perspective is in the title of it. So I tie um, a lot of problems in our society today back to biblical issues as well. So I tie, there's a chapter called The Original Dress Code. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, I tie it back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and you know, it's like she uh, that it was perfectly cool for Adam and Eve to go walking around naked uh, as long as they didn't feel any shame about it. Uh, but I as soon as they started both. feeling shame, uh, then they had to cover up. Mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was never really clear on uh, uh, how that, that story... I mean, apparently the ideal state is for everybody to go ahead and be a nudist but not feel bad. But that doesn't <laughs> seem very... Con Consistent. I don't with know that the we'd get there in this kind of world yeah. we're in today, but. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I talk about that, and then uh, there's a chapter about social media, and about uh, I sort of tie it to like the public as God, you know, kind of like you have to answer to each other now on the mm. internet. You used to be able to keep all your stuff under wraps and then confess it to a priest, but with the Mean Too movement and everything else, you know, your confessions are out there before you even get to say them these days. It's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, that's true, and I'm not sure that I would say that uh, that it means that it doesn't other mean like people the are public God. is God, I, I but yeah, think, it's arguing from a faith-based standpoint. Um, social media and religion uh, fulfill the same uh, desire, which is to have somebody pay attention to you. Yeah, <laughs> in a way, mm -hmm. uh, self-importance. Yeah, yeah, and and so I don't think that uh, I, I mean. <clears throat> So I'm not sure what the original intention of people uh, creating religion is uh, really was, because I can't go back and read their mind. But I think that uh, people, people live and die, and more people uh, come through and run into systems that are already in place. I mean, at, at this point, Christianity has been around for 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. And it would be hard to say that you could blame any particular person who said, oh, I know, I'm going to create a religion on purpose so that I can control women, specifically. Um, now, But it is sort of fundamentally believed that no woman had any part in writing the Bible. So you could say, regardless it? of the number of men... Yeah. Is it? I'm not... I mean, I'm it's not believed. really aware of I, that. I believe By that who? to be the case. <laughs> I, well... 
given how shaming and terrible it is to women, how sexist it is, it's hard to believe a woman would have written the Bible. <laughs> yeah, but I, um, uh, my understanding is that a lot of the Bible has been was originally passed down as folklore, uh, and uh, it, it was committed to paper over time. And I've I've read some books on the. Uh, on the historical origins of the Bible, and some of it is uh, like e even people who spend a lot of their time have not really nailed down specific people uh, or genders who wrote the book. It uh, it's just uh, they refer to them as uh, by like single letters. Like okay, well this this part of the book comes from R, and this part of the book comes from J. Mm -hmm. um, have you uh, have you uh, seen any of those books? I have not. But oh. I'm just thinking of, like, so think of the verses that are, let's say, like, women can't speak in church and women have to defer to their husbands to make sure. their decisions. It's just impossible for me to fathom a woman writing, I can't talk in church. Right. I well, have to ask him what I can do for myself. Definitely a lot of the, I mean, definitely the apostles in the story were all male. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the New Testament was written by St. Paul, who... Uh, <laughs> specifically was pretty damn misogynistic. Yeah, yep. Uh, I, also, I also talk about that in my book, too. Like, all mm -hmm. these people, you know, they believed in the Old Testament, then there was a New Testament that completely changed the rules. So these people are literally trusting this being that already changed the rules on them. So what if he changes the rules again? Like, there's no, there's no law that says there can't be a right. Third Testament someday that overwrites everything in the first two. Like, it's, mm -hmm. it's a dangerous game to play to believe in something that could change by the time you die or even tomorrow, right. you know? Although in the Christian mind, uh, none of these changes actually happen because they don't focus on the context or they think that, uh, they, or they're aware that there are 30,000 offshoots of Christianity, <laughs> but they are, but I, I have never met a religious person who <laughs> didn't think that they just happened to have the exact right one. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so apparently, uh, our diligent crew, knowing that the internet may not come back for a while, uh, has gone out and collected audience questions. So we are going to do that for a bit. <laughs> right, we've got you, Russell. Here's our first person, Phil. Okay. Philadelphia. Can they hear you right now, Eric? Sorry. Okay. Okay. Uh, hello. I just had the question of uh, what would you expect the impact of the creation of a human quality AI uh, on the state of theism and belief? Ooh. Um, mm. That's really interesting. As a matter of fact, uh, another person I ran into at American Atheist was uh, David Tamayo, who, like me, is a software guy, and he recommended a book to me uh, which was called uh, Life 3.0. And I've been listening to it uh, on audiobook. And, you know, the, the book is not so much a prediction of the future, but sort of a collection of various ideas that people have about AI and the ideas that, and, and the things that may or may not come out of it in the future. Uh, he talks to a lot of science fiction authors, and he also tackles some genuinely complicated uh, moral questions that only come up based on uh, the idea that there could be non-human intelligence and also that the non-human intelligence could do weird things like replicate itself in the cloud. Uh, like, for instance, one of my favorite 
weird questions that he asked is, suppose that an AI gains enough intelligence that it has its own desires, should it be allowed to vote in a United States election? <laughs> okay, let's say that your answer is yes. Now suppose that the AI is also capable of making 30 trillion copies of itself so that it always wins the election. Can we limit the amount of votes that the AI gets, or does each copy get a vote? Yeah. That is not an answer to your question, but... <laughs> um, uh, but the questions of, what we'll ha of how we will cope with uh, artificial intelligence when it shows up are really complicated and unknown, and I think uh, religious people who think they have all the answers about everything will probably do what they've always done, which is that one generation will completely deny and dehumanize the artificial intelligence, and then eventually the artificial intelligence may or may not successfully fight for their rights to be recognized, and someday in the far future, Christians will say, oh, our religion always included artificial intelligence. What are you talking about? There's not any controversy. God knows everything. Yeah, and I think it's similar to you know their beliefs about doctors in the operating room. It wasn't the surgeon that saved a lot. It was it was God via the surgeon. So if we create artificial intelligence, they'll just say God created the robot or whatever it is. That's know, right. I'm sure <laughs> it would be cool uh, if it had an impact on theists, but uh, yeah, because well, the human inventors never get any credit. Right, right. <laughs> um, so I hope that answers your question a little more. That book is Life 3.0 by Max Tegmark. If if anyone's interested, and I've been having. Uh, a really interesting email exchange with David DeMaio about it recently. Uh, do we have more questions? We do. Our next question is from Caleb in, uh, from Caleb from Dallas. Here's Caleb. <laughs> Hello, Caleb Hi, from Caleb. Dallas. Hello, biblical name. Uh, this is for uh, Caitlin. I was wondering what was the worst thing your family or religion may have told you and or what would you like to have seen changed immediately if you had that power tomorrow, your family to not think of or believe? Um, I think the story I, I told you guys about being told that I would go to hell and burn for all eternity at five years of age was the most scarring thing that happened to me. And I wish, I, I guess this, if I could go back in time and have my parents change their approach and all parents change their approach, it would be to just fundamentally understand the age at which a child develops doubt. Like, it was not five years old for me. You know, if I believe in Santa Claus or I believe there's a monster under the bed, I'm going to believe whatever you say. So if you tell me I'm going to burn up forever, like, I believe that. And I think parents, there's not necessarily a healthy appreciation for the lack of doubt in children, in very young children. Yeah, well, maybe parents actually, uh, I mean, even if you told them that, they wouldn't care because they really do believe that there is a place you go where you get tortured for eternity if you do the wrong thing, and they're scared that their child is going to fail to believe the things that will get them to the good place. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, there's that too, but um, I guess that's what I was going for in my book, and I know one of my friends... She read it, and she told her parents she's not raising her child in a church because of my book. So if more of that happens, I'll be a happy person. That is definitely progress. <laughs> mm -hmm. she's, still, she's still a Christian, though, right? No, she's not. Oh, okay. Nope. <laughs> well, good. She's an atheist and stands up for herself because mm -hmm. of you. Congratulations. All right. Our next question comes from Jessica, who is here from Switzerland. Oh, wow. Wow. 
Hi. Hi. Um, my question will be also um, to you, Caitlin, and it follows up perfectly. So I wanted to ask if you have any um, people from your previous social circle that also left church prior to you or after you made that decision? Um, you know, I, I moved geographically away from um, where I went to church. I went to church in Kansas. I grew up um, in Kansas City and then moved to Chicago. So everybody I knew in the church circle is actually back home still. Um, but I will say it has been painful. I've had to sort of distance myself from some family members who are so focused on it that they literally can't talk about anything else when they see me. And that's just, that's not fun for anyone. So, um, yeah, I would say I have not kept ties with most of those people. Um, I probably should for the purposes of spreading atheism. But, um, yeah, it can be a challenge, I think. Yeah. What about you? For you? Uh, I you, guess you weren't really religious. Well, no, I wasn't, and so I haven't had a hard time staying in touch with people <laughs> who have been my friends because they've mostly been atheists. Yeah. Uh, I it, sometimes it's actually uh, a a challenge to actually meet people uh, or or be on good terms with people uh, who are uh, who are deeply entrenched in religion. Uh, I have a few people I consider good friends who are, uh, devoutly religious. Um, I've got a friend named, uh, Danner who is a, a Christian and we used to argue a lot on a message board, but also I think he's a really cool guy and he's running for, uh, uh, some seat in Alabama right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I won't tell anybody to look him up or vote for him because we are a nonprofit organization. <laughs> uh, but I also, uh, a few years ago, tried an experiment where I found a, a pastor of a local Baptist church. Uh, his name's Kyle Miller, and we had him on. And if anything, people were disappointed in that episode because he was way nicer than our average caller. And so yeah. we didn't fight enough. But... Uh, we have remained friends, and uh, as a matter of fact, just last week, uh, it occurred to me out of the blue, hey, I haven't seen Kyle in a while, and we met for uh, for breakfast uh, one morning before work and just talked through things, and I talked about some things that uh, had me anxious about uh, atheist communities, and he said, oh, yeah, it's just like church, <laughs> uh, which I don't always take as I a compliment. Agree, but, but, yeah. <laughs> but, they're all, <laughs> but they're all social organizations, and social organizations have things in common. I will say, though, one thing that's been miraculous for me is that I mentioned my parents a lot in the book, and obviously it's not very kind to them, but they've both read it cover to cover. Mm -hmm. And they fully supported it, and we still have a good relationship in spite of me telling my story and breaking away from that family system of belief. So to me, hopefully I can be an example of even if it's scary, like you can, you can maintain those ties with people who, who remain theists um, even as you break away. And I think, you know, there's, there's a point, too, where you can't reach someone if their ears aren't open. So if you yeah. can't speak to them... I can always send you my book, and then you're ready to read it someday, you know. Yeah, um, but I, th I think it is a good idea in general. Like, it is a lot of effort to maintain friendships with people who aren't on the same page with you mm -hmm. about a lot of things. But it is often worth, worth the effort because if you know a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds and, and you're wondering, uh, you know, hey, I wonder how the Baptist community is feeling about politics these days. I mean, I have someone I can ask mm -hmm. and I may not uh, wind up agreeing with him, but just getting that insight from people outside of your experience is always valuable. Mm -hmm. 
Speaking of which, I mean, I kind of want to hang on to our caller from Switzerland because, you know, one of the best things about the atheist experience is, is getting such an international audience. And we happen to have an international audience just sitting here. <laughs> uh, what was your name again? Wait, can you? My name was Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Hi, um, <laughs> what brought you all the way to Texas? So it was more my boyfriend. He was listening to the show since a long time. Okay. So is he here too? Yes. I can't see very well. There's bright lights in my face. <laughs> but hi, hi guys. Hi. Uh, I'm Lucas. I, yeah. Um, so I've heard a lot from like our European listeners that uh, religion is not nearly as pervasive in Europe, and that is that your experience too. Yeah, it is. Um, I was kind of shocked when I, when we drove through the countryside and saw all the, the billboards and signs for churches and uh, how Jesus is the only way to God and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it takes some getting used to, huh? Um, uh, well, I, I'm actually kind of wondering, um, since religion isn't as pervasive in uh, Swiss culture... Uh, what drew you to the atheist experience then? Really sure. I just stumbled across it uh, on YouTube. Okay, just just fun to watch people argue with a point of view that you never hear. <laughs> over I mean, there. Um, I studied biology. I have a master's mm -hmm. in evolution. And so I, I was just curious about the whole discussion that you have here in the States about uh, the school system and how, how it's fighting you to have <laughs> evolution taught at all. And yeah, I guess their, their uh, creationism doesn't have a lot of traction where you're from, huh? No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. Thankfully. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for coming, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your stay. Uh, Eric, I just want to say how awesome you are for managing to keep us in calls. <laughs> and keeping the energy up out there. <laughs> you're making me blush. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, actually, your next, next? your next question is from Chris, and here's for, he's here from Baton Rouge. Okay. Louisiana? Great. Yes, sir. Um, I was curious about uh, one of y'all's opinion on why uh, religion seemed so much to tout their moderates. Like, aren't moderates just unbelievers versus extremists being, you know, hey, we, we read it and we believe it as it is, which is what, you know, all the believers seem to want to uh, say. That, that microphone's getting quiet, but I think that was the I'm sorry, I probably wasn't anyway. speaking into it well. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you didn't come from a moderate No, I came from so extremists, yeah, mm -hmm. which tends to be the breeding ground for an outspoken atheist as well. You know, <laughs> you go through the fire, you want to prevent it happening to other people. So, yeah. yeah. So in your experience, they did, they did, probably didn't promote moderation. No. moderates very much. No, not in the least. Um... Well, uh, I know that some religious people promote moderates, and certainly the moderates promote themselves, but I mean, I, I guess a question would be who specifically do you have in mind? Is it that when you see a religious person on a talk show, they seem more likely to be a moderate or what? I mean, here in the United States, it's uh -huh. people saying, you know, okay, the moderates, when it's Christians, they want to point to uh, KKK. 
but nowadays I would suppose it's mostly about Muslims, you know, saying, yes, there's umpteen million Muslims, but oh, the vast majority is moderate. And it's like, well, yeah, moderate to you who, you know, who have this really strict view, but I mean, to me, who doesn't believe in it at all, yeah. you know, yeah. even um, a moderate is extreme. Well, it really depends because I think the kind of person who would say that would be someone who themselves do not think of themselves as, as, uh, as a religious extremist. So uh, maybe part of the answer is that fundamentalists despite what it sounds like if you just go through best of clips on the atheist experience, uh, fundamentalists are not really a majority of, uh, of the people in the United States. Or they're like Fred Phelps, where, well, okay, bad example, because Fred Phelps is <laughs> very self-promotional. extreme you can come up with, yeah. uh, And dead, but <laughs> ding dong. Uh, I think, I think but, moderates are, it's just a really weak argument that religion isn't all that harmful. And I think the, the right. reverse argument to that is if you're picking and choosing your ethics or your moral lessons from these books, why do you need the book at all? You would arrive at the same place. You can meet an atheist yeah. friend who won't steal from you or kick your cat or steal your car <laughs> right. without um, a verse in the Bible telling them not to. I, I mean, I agree with you, but I also think that religion fills a niche for some people. And uh, I, I think there are a lot of ways in which moderate Christians uh, and moderate Muslims are maybe somewhat uh, hypocritical in that they're claiming to follow a certain, uh, you know, a certain book, but then they pick and choose which parts of it uh, they think actually matter. But that said, uh, people people like a lot of things about religion. They like the comfort and certainty that comes from believing that this one original, really old source knew everything, and believing that you're tapped the into the secret knowledge. Yep. Uh, there, uh, there is the sense of community that some people get from uh, going to church and spending time around a lot of like-minded people. Uh, and let's face it, fundamentalists are assholes. <laughs> um, a lot of fundamentalists are really unpleasant people and not pleasant to hang around. <laughs> Back me up here. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're no fun. Uh, <laughs> they're mean, judgmental. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think... And so people who are just looking for social validation... Uh, probably won't find it in a fundamentalist church. Uh, and so not only will they gravitate toward the more moderate churches, but they will also fight the cognitive dissonance that says that, uh, that the, the truer, more sincere religion is the fundamentalism that they've already rejected. Yeah, and I've met moderates who are more extreme than they think they are, too. You yeah. know, they're, I'm moderate because I don't believe in killing people um, right. But I'm sexist as hell, but I'm a moderate. You, know, you, yeah. you can't define moderate either. So, Yeah. And also, I mean, I'd like to think that over time people would abandon fundamentalism. And unless I'm expecting them to go to all, to, to become all atheists, uh, uh, having a rise of moderation would be a good thing because it would be a less bad thing. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. And I think there's a step, too. I think the first step is a religious and atheistic could be even beyond that because some people can leave the Christian church and they don't believe in the Christian God, but they might think there's something else out there they don't really know. But believing that there's nothing else out there and there never was anything, people have trouble with that, right. too. I think sometimes there's multiple hurdles for people to get through. Yeah. 
I'm all for outspoken atheists, but I also think that if more people would just go from taking religion really seriously mm -hmm. to not caring that much about religion, that would be a win. Yeah. <laughs> What's next? Our next question actually comes from our own backyard. Okay. Uh, on this Memorial Day weekend, we do have a vet who has a question. His name is Benjamin, and he's from Round Rock. Hello, Great. Benjamin. Hello. Hi, nice to meet you guys. Um, <laughs> My question is kind of for both of you. What advice do you have for atheists across the country, given the current political environment, and specifically with kind of the co-opting idea and the narrative of this war on Christianity and war <laughs> on religion more broadly? Yes. Uh, there are things about the current political environment that I do not say just because we're a nonprofit and I don't always know exactly where the line is, but I have lots That's of opinions fair. about the war on Christianity. <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> well, not completely bullshit, because, I mean, in a way, I am engaged in making people uncomfortable with, <laughs> uh, with continuing to make their, uh, take their religious beliefs seriously. And is that a threat to fundamentalists? Yeah, it probably is. Um, and furthermore, I think we are winning. I mean... It's not that, they, that atheists outnumber theists, but just that the trend, if you look at the last couple of decades, has just gone steadily upward uh, to the point where if you survey the younger generation, uh, they are way, way less inclined to be religious than the older generation. Um, and I think that's a good thing, and a lot of Christians think it's absolutely terrifying and represents our descent into depravity. <laughs> uh, but frankly, they still have a, an iron grip on most of the levers of government, uh, and so I don't feel very sorry for them at all <laughs> that they're losing their, their yeah. free advantages. I like the argument that David Silverman posed in his, uh, mm -hmm. his Fighting God book, and he was talking about it's not a war on Christianity, it's a loss of privilege. Mm -hmm. And so if you've had a privilege and you lose it, then equality is going to feel like a war to you. But really, you're just coming down to the trenches with the rest of us. Because Christianity has definitely given a privilege in this country in particular. Yeah. yeah you know, they, we don't have the same, Christians don't have the same advantages in Switzerland, I'm guessing. Our audience members from there could concur on that. But, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say, if there's anyone, any, uh, if there's... Anyone who it would be ironic uh, for <laughs> to to hear talking about a a sudden loss of privilege. Never mind. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, who's All next? Right. Our next question is from Joseph, and he is from Minnesota. Hi, Joseph. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Um, so I, I remember watching a YouTube video, I think it might have been Richard Dawkins, but one of the more vocal atheists from back in the day, and he was talking about militant atheism, and he was talking about like atheism being more active. I was wondering what your thoughts on the term militant atheism, because I, I can think uh, people might misinterpret that and maybe be a little bit more radical in how they approach talking with theists. Uh, and stuff like I that. don't use the term militant atheist, and I'm think. not crazy about it. I doubt anybody would self-identify as a militant anything, let alone atheist. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes uh, they talk about militant atheism uh, ironically. 
uh, as in, you know, I I have seen the meme that that's like, oh, when when Christians are militant, they uh, or when Muslims are militant, they fly planes into buildings, and when atheists are militant, they say mean things on the internet. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure if I would be so cavalier in dismissing uh, uh, the ability of angry, hostile people for any particular cause uh, to get dangerous. But I think that uh, on the whole, uh, atheists aren't particularly militant and they tend to be uh, in the minority and they're often unfairly perceived as uh, angrier than they actually are. Although there are plenty of reasons for atheists to be angry about the way that things are. Yep. <laughs> How's that for answering from all sides? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> testing, testing. That's all yep. of our questions. Oh, okay. Well, that <laughs> means we need to vamp for a while longer. All right. <laughs> um... <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about social media, okay. uh, because it happens to be a topic that I'm very interested in as a computer guy and a, and a politics guy. Um, <laughs> uh, at what point in your life did the the internet become kind of a big thing that was every that was in everybody's lives? Mm, I think I was in high school, and we all started using AOL Instant Messenger. Mm, so you'd put okay. up your little away message with a bunch of smiley faces. Yeah. Um, Studying for my math test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've always been in kind of an interesting position because I was a technology enthusiast. And in college, uh, the, the Internet really, like, toward the end of, of my college career, uh, I had always been really interested in computers and, and the Internet. Uh, and so this shift happened around my senior year where, like, even theater students were giving their email addresses to each other. Mm -hmm. And now everybody takes the Internet for granted, which is an incredibly fast uh, uh, takeover of a certain, uh, of a particular technology. Um, and I think it's great in some ways because uh, I think that connecting people throughout the world is... Uh, 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 has expanded people's access to knowledge. But I think it's weird in other ways because uh, because uh, the number of people that you could reach is so vast that whatever ridiculous nonsensical idea that you have about expanding spheres yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you can find someone who agrees with you. Yeah, you can find somebody <laughs> on the internet who thinks that that's the greatest idea they've ever heard and they've already written a, like a dissertation on it <laughs> and then you can find this whole community of people who will reinforce uh, bad ideas. Yeah, um, but I, I think at least in my life it's had more of a positive change than a negative change. I, mm -hmm. I talk about this in my book too about how like if you're if you're involved in a very religious community and nobody knows that you're an atheist and you're doubting everything, right. finding those people online is enough for some people for a while until they can physically be out in the world or like converse with their friends about it. Like for me, I joined Atheist Republic on Facebook and I was like, oh, there's two million other people who think like I do, even though nobody in my immediate circle thinks like that. And it was just this solidarity that sort of gives you courage to be who you are. 
you know, so I think yeah, it's, it's cool. an enormous agent for social change. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought that specifically with respect to religion, that, that uh, <laughs> the Internet is the arch enemy of religion. Oh, absolutely. Because religion, I, I think, in, in a community like yours where everybody had the same belief and reinforced uh, that belief to their kids and to each other in church, um, that kind of structure sort of relies on hiding away the opinions of the rest of the world, about mm -hmm. not even letting kids know that there are alternative opinions yeah. out there. And True? You could, absolutely. And they could filter the parts of the stories you told them. I talk about this in the book as well. Like the story of Noah and the Ark. Mm -hmm. I learned that when I was like six or seven years old. And all I remember is this coloring book and this beautiful story about a man building a big ship and all these animals walking into it two by two. <laughs> and not so fast, much the babies yeah, drowning to Fast death. forward to when I'm 25 and Googling this, and I see yeah. he's supposedly 600 years old, and God says, I'm going right. to kill everybody else on Earth except for this family. I'm like, if they had told that to me as a kid, that alone would have been, you know. But you can't, you can't filter what people learn these days anymore. Yeah. Every, everything's searchable. It's great. Right. Uh, and that's a good thing. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and at the same time, like a lot of studies have come out recently, uh, which have shown that, uh, like, like there was a there was a study recently that analyzed all the stories that went viral uh, last year, and they found that there was a particular way in which uh, objectively false stories spread like significantly faster than true stories. Huh. Uh so it's complicated. It gives people to a lot of access. It gives people a lot of access to conflicting information. It doesn't necessarily do the job of filtering out what's right, and uh, you don't get to call yourself a skeptic just because you're good at looking things up on the internet. <laughs> That's my rant for today, and we've run out of the we've run out the clock. Great, even <laughs> without callers for half an hour. High five. Awesome. <laughs> Russell, Russell, wait, we have one more what? question. Oh, wait, we have wait. one more question coming in. Okay. Hello, Russell. <laughs> Hello, how Will are we meet you? again. <laughs> wait, is this the real Hamish or somebody doing a great impersonation? Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10e included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and an 18-month lease. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after 16.25 a month. Credit applied within two bills are canceled early. Your main balance to unlimited basic after 630.20. Pay $32 per month per line with auto pay. Data to per organization during congestion. Speed maximums. Use rules and restrictions apply.